We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the 2023-24 Lakers are born, or at least mostly. Uh, a couple more roster spots to to fill out. But Lakers have their offseason, and I think generally a successful one, and one that I think is marked by the lack of change relative to other early Julys that the Lakers have had over the last few seasons. Um, I want to start, guys, with the guys who stayed. Um, Austin Reeves signed a four-year contract, I think, with a player option in the fourth year. Uh, Rui Hachimura signed a three-year deal. D'Lo is reported to have agreed to terms, but as the time of, uh, time of recording uh, hasn't been officially announced, but for a two-year deal with a player option in the second year. And Gabe Vincent is the big uh, MLE signing, or at least close to the MLE, a three-year deal for him. And Darius, that is kind of a change of approach with the Lakers in terms of role players. The only role player I can think of that got a three-plus-year deal from the Lakers in the last few seasons is THT. And so to have several guys that got three plus years, I think it is a continuation of the moves they made right around the trade deadline, at least, or right before in Rui's case. And there's a sort of like growing roots that is nice and sort of a change of the last few off seasons, man. So uh, I don't want to oversell what the Lakers did, and we'll talk more about the specifics, but that is one of the big takeaways. And that's one thing that Rob said whenever he'd get in front of a mic, uh, including the introduction of the draft picks was like, we're looking to keep the guys together and build around the edges and i think the lakers did that so they definitely did welcome back to everyone too like we were on our own sort of uh, moratorium for longtime listeners of the pod they understand the reasons why but we are here to talk about everything that you just said pete and the idea of continuity i think mike was the one who asked Rob that question directly using that word and Rob had no qualms with like jumping on that and reiterating the term multiple times so it was clearly the the idea here I'm always super interested in that context though of what you said that giving players these deals is a, is an opportunity for continuity it does not guarantee it 
necessarily. Oh, man, they're going to be in every in every trade rumor. If you make between ten and twenty million dollars a year on the Lakers, it's going to be like, oh, do you want Austin Reeves or a shiny <laughs> new point guard? You know, like yeah. it's that's, yes. they're always going to be in those rumors. Yes. So it's interesting because the Lakers have gotten a lot of praise for this offseason. I think the signings that they've made have either been like neutral or slight upgrades like i think that they've gotten different player types yeah but player types of like the same sort of quality or within the same tiers to use draft language like totally agree no yeah. one is way above in this new tier but they are different types of players and so when we dig into the individual players which will happen some this this pod but we'll have a lot of opportunity over the course of the summer to to dive deeper in to individual players games i think we'll start to see how those differences could impact on court play but just to jump on your point pete is like yeah it'll be nice to not have the same amount of turnover and this is something that i've harped on a lot mike like i think the lakers needed to start to establish some form of like this is a group of guys who we want to have um from year to year to year because that's how you actually improve and it's how you in a read and react sport like basketball where the understanding and knowingness between the players actually can create tangible value on the court that goes above and beyond what a player is good at. I think that continuity can springboard a team forward. And for a team that made the conference finals, springboarding forward is like to the actual next level of competing for a championship. And so I think the Lakers are well positioned here and they did a good job during free agency. I think that's a great just very brief and I think obvious summary, right? That we should all say, like, they did a good job. This is what I think that they should have done. Uh, and we discussed it on several pods. It was kind of a mix of, you know, opinion slash reporting of this. This is what you're hearing around the building. This is what they would like to do. And there's a reason, uh, not just because of how, what kind of season that sets you up to have. And we've talked all about continuity, but not like not all continuity is good continuity. The reason they wanted to do the continuity is because the pieces fit nicely. Mm -hmm. And that's the reason why they made some of the moves they make, I think, in hope of finding it. And just because they knew what they didn't, what they had prior to the trade deadline was not going to work. And that continuity, and even if it's just three players of continuity, you can tell if that works or doesn't work in the NBA um, at a certain point. And so they addressed that. And then it went probably better than many thought. And the way, so the continuity is is obvious uh, in just the players that were successful on the team. The second part of that, though, is can you find a little upgrade um, at certain spots you know, within the, the context of that continuity? And I thought that, I think the three of us all were pretty high relative to the public on what Dennis Schroeder brought. But I do think there's a chance that the way that Gabe Vincent plays and some of the skill set that he has could be an upgrade given what the other Lakers personnel is. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily in a vacuum. There, there are things that Dennis does better than, than Gabe Vincent, but with how he played in the, in the playoff run specifically, um, I think there's a chance that that helps the Lakers even a little bit more. And then I think that Torian Prince can be a bit of an upgrade over, say, a, a Troy Brown, who I also really liked more than most people, I thought, last year. Um, but what Prince ha brings in terms of size and a little bit more consistent shooting and rebounding, like there are... There's a way, I think, as a rotation piece that that goes up. And then you get a couple of kind of younger, former lottery pick upside guys in, you know, in Cam Reddish 
um, and Jackson Hayes. And those are interesting to me too. That Those are the types of players that I, I like having at that kind of the tail end of the roster where you don't need them to play. But if there's a certain fit within that system, great. And then I'm in Vegas right now. Then you have, you know, you have set the rookies aside for a second, uh, but you have Max Christie. Oh, yeah. We all also like a lot. <laughs> and I, I see, I know from asking you guys what your rotations might be that the name Max Christie um, is something that might pop up for next year. So all in all, um, I thought they did a really nice job and it gives them a chance to build upon uh, what was a, I think still a better run than um, than could have been expected. And this was the way that they should have tried to help to hold on to that and build a little bit. Absolutely. But there's a ton of work ahead even still. That's been one of the uh, interesting parts of the last couple of seasons, I've thought, is that the offseason was not the main event of the transactions, certainly not last year. Uh, it was the year that we signed our vet min guys. We signed Lonnie to a, a slightly bigger deal, but it was that was the part where we built around the edges. And then the Western Conference finalist was really formed at the trade deadline. And so the Lakers are also in a position where they could be players at at that part too. And so that's why I view this upcoming first part of the season as tryouts, once again, similar to last year, where it's like, Max Christie, I'm so glad you brought him up. And like you said, you're in Vegas at Summer League. He's looked great these last couple of games. And I think that the way that the offseason went, D, it, he kind of emerges, as, I think, as an important piece in that he is – I see a sizing up across the roster. We're a bigger team. I think we're slower in losing Dennis and Lonnie, um, but we make up for that by being a little bit bigger. And I think we're functionally a little more athletic, uh, certainly above the rim. Well, I'd love to talk about Reddish and Hayes a little bit later because that's a type of guy, that second draft type of player that we've had a lot of success with, I think, the last couple of years. And so uh, – but – Across the board, roster-wise, D, that whole idea of like guys being on a similar tier but different types, I think Vincent, going from Dennis to Vincent, is a good example of that. Um, and I think that we've gotten bigger and we're a better jump-shooting team. And those are two things that I really wanted us to be. And I think that especially with the jump shooting aspect, a lot of times our conversations can drift into like, oh, well, you don't want, you know, Matt Ryan, for example, who can shoot, sure, but is going to be hurting you in other aspects of the game. I think the type of jump shooters that we added in Vincent and Prince and even Hayes adds a degree of vertical spacing that I think this is the best spacing that we've had in a while. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited about that. I think we're going to be a slower team, but a little more skilled in the half court. Well, it's interesting because last year I thought the Lakers had too many guards and this year they may again just because they drafted guards, right? It, it's So I'll be interested to see like a conversation for a different day is like where the rookies and potentially like two-way guys slot in to this team um, in terms of functional slotting. The shooting is going to be super important and... D'Lo and Austin, to me, are actually the key parts of that. We will talk more about Prince and, and Vincent because they're the new players. But mm -hmm. D'Lo and Austin being like pull-up shooters and mid-range guys and guys who could functionally hit spot-ups and then attack closeouts, like those guys are super important. And the idea now... And you can add, and now I'll bring in Vincent here too. The Lakers now project to have three quote-unquote skill guards 
who can all navigate mm-hmm. a pick and roll and hit a pull up jumper like in their own way. And JHS actually projects to be a similar type of of player in as mm-hmm. a ball screen guy who can hit a pull up mid range jumper. And then hopefully if guys go under, he can hit the pull up three as guys duck behind screens potentially. Right. And so that exact skill is the skill that I've been pining for, for like three seasons with this team. And now I don't want to say their cup runneth over, but they've got some talent in that area. We got some mid range dudes, AD and Rui, right? These aren't pick and roll players in that conventional sense, but that being able to contribute in the mid range, that stood out to me too. There's a lot of guys on the roster that, that are good from that range. Yeah, and so the pull-up shooting in particular is going to be so important, particularly coming from the guard guard position, and and so because the types of players that the guy that the Lakers have as bigs, Mike, they are such gravity threats, right? So as LeBron transitions to being more of a big man, AD obviously playing so much more center, and the potential of Hayes being a vertical threat as a lob player, how? teams navigate those actions and ball screens when now it's going to be like Austin potentially taking a leap and D'Lo, who is very good at this part of the game. I'm even looking at Max Christie getting more on-ball reps during Summer League and being like, oh, look at Max doing a little bit of on-ball shot creation. And then to bring Prince back in to this, guys who can sit in the corner or relocate, not necessarily movement shoes, yes. but relocate. When you're sliding as, your feet side to side, yep, yep. Yes, and just shuffling, like guys who are used to shooting in those types of environments. Those are super valuable types of shots and the shots that the Lakers are going to create based off of their offense. And so when I'm looking at the free agency signings and I see a lot of synergy between like the types of players that the Lakers should be targeting and the types of guys who fit into the offense. And that is the sort of thing where it's like, Oh, and they compliment LeBron and they compliment AD and, and they can defend some and it's just like oh okay now you're cooking with fire a little bit for a team that went to again like i'm going to reiterate this this team went to the western conference finals they were a good basketball team the bones of the house were good and so this wasn't a gut job renovation it's just like hey we're gonna put in a new stove here it's just like our, our kitchen is already set but we just need a couple of new appliances and i think that they've addressed some of the things that will help elevate the rest of the roster to me, the most important aspects of the continuity, and you know, this is aside from LeBron and AD, would be Austin Reeves. Like that, yes, the trade deadline, the Lakers got players that fit better and that just were going to be better than what they had. But to me, the, still the biggest difference between the team uh, and in the how they emerged was Austin Reeves being like a real guy, a real playoff guy, um, forty plus percent from three, almost ninety at the line, you know. Almost 50 from the, his just regular field goal percentage, finishing at the rim, everything that he was doing, assist to turnover ratio, still rebounding, like Austin turning into um, that type of a player to me. Now, he not only is he going to go into that with next season, but he's about to play for Team USA, which is going to, I think, not only give him another confidence boost, um, but just kind of like have him. Remember that summer when Lamar Odom went and did it? Now, Lamar was older. At that point, but he came in and had basically his best season. Uh, it's I think it's going to help Austin's like game shape um, right when things start in his conditioning, which was was something that he was going to keep working on anyway. So that that is really exciting for me, uh, and the fact that 
lot of people expected the Spurs to throw that max offer sheet. Now, that wasn't going to impact like Austin's place on the team. It just would have impacted how much he was paid in the third and fourth years, you know, which would have made, uh, which on the one hand, I would have been happy for Austin. On the other hand, it would have been a little harder for the Lakers to do some cap gymnastics sure. in the subsequent years. But still, like for him to go to where he started and now to land this contract and be locked in with the Lakers, uh, to me alone, is just a huge thing. Uh, and and that's that's, I think, sets the Lakers up so that we can talk about all the rest of it. I just wanted to give that a little point of emphasis. No, that I think long-term, the contract Austin signed is going to have huge implications. I, I've just loved everything that he's had to say about it, that his agent, Aaron Riley, like when he signed that, uh, uh, Riley posted this video that started out with Dr. Jerry Buss's voice. And the video was about pursuing 18 and what it meant to him. And then Austin's on IG talking about Laker for life, right? Like, I think that just like this contract that he signed and his approach to it just kind of illustrated his what's important to him in a lot of ways. And that like this, this means something to him in ways that, I mean, it's, it's everyone's job and it's an opportunity to make millions and millions of dollars, but of all the things he could have focused on and, and that they could have focused on in terms of like, Hey, we signed the contract of a lifetime. It could have been like, a personal story in terms of how they communicated that of like, Hey, I made my way up from, you know, from Arkansas to here, but no, it's, it was like a future tense type of thing where it's like, okay. And now let's go freaking win 18. That just had me so pumped up. And in a way that like, is, I think is, um, it speaks to what he prioritizes. And to your point D about it going back to Austin and Delo, I agree with this as well in the respect that this is one of the ways that I think continuity manifests itself is that you can have the same two guys, but the exact distribution of how much Austin should have the ball versus how much Delo should have the ball. I think we saw that start to evolve over the course of the playoffs where D'Lo kind of filling what they were hoping Malik Beasley would do, I think yes. is maybe the most natural role because D'Lo can catch that that flamethrower, right? And then, but can also on that second side pick and roll just absolutely kick your butt. And it's not to say D'Lo can't ever, you know, be an on-ball type of player, but one of the things that comes with continuity is just figuring out amongst the same group of players, guys, that like, hey, if we just turn the dial a little bit this way and do this a little more and this a little less, it works a little better. And uh, shout out Austin's other agent, Reggie Berry, too. Uh, Darius, just to, to kind of build yes. on Pete's point and, and set you up on this. So Austin Austin was just as good in terms of net rating in the postseason as he was in the regular season. And that's that's one of those things that's hard to do um, once, especially as the like the playing time actually increases. And yet in the the strength of the opposition goes up exponentially. And for you to still be a positive in that sense is is just very impressive. And that's what Austin was. He was like plus five, nearly plus six. Um, at, or that bumped up from plus five to plus six. D'Lo was a lot better than everybody remembers in the regular season. Like he was a plus 12 oh, yeah. the second that he got there, his presence on the floor fit. And then he he was better in rounds one and two, um, as I think we reiterated a couple pods ago. And then, you know, hit that Denver matchup and, and it just like the plus minus kind of just fell to the floor um, where he ends up being uh, like just a, just a narrow plus. And the, like the only guys that weren't a plus to put this in context were Vanderbilt Brown, uh, Beasley and Gabriel. Uh, so like, like the Lakers were obviously to get to the Western conference finals, you know, they had to have a lot more pluses, but I, I just, I do think that Russell coming in um, can, is going to have, is going to look better than it seemed, than whatever the feeling was to have to have the season end. 
But I wanted to see where you were at with that and kind of the importance of bringing him back, what his deal was and uh, as well, and how that kind of fits into the rest of the NBA and the Western Conference. So let's go to break here. When we come back, we'll talk more about the D'Lo part of this. And then I do want to chime in a bit on Austin as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Mike, to get to the D'Lo point first, and I want to hit your point and Pete's point. D'Lo, once his signing is official and the reported numbers, like those are quality numbers, I think, for D'Lo, but they're also quality numbers for, for the team, right? In terms of his role, I'm super interested in how the players who left then sort of redistribute what the ideas are of players within the context of of the new roster. And so, Pete, the point that you hit about like D'Lo being more of what they thought Beasley could be. So, like, good luck to Beasley in Milwaukee. Beasley is a volume shooter who shoots about league average. And his ability to be a league average shooter is because on many nights, he's going to get up eight to 10 threes a game, right? No matter how many minutes he plays, shout out to Beasley. He is not shy. But some nights it's three for 10. Some nights it's two for 10. And some nights it's five for 10 and six for 10. And that's how you get to be a 35% three-point shooter on high volume. D'Lo last season, Mike, he stepped up as like a more consistent shooter. Now, he definitely has some bad nights, right? But his bad nights are like, if if you take a 10-game sample, it's just like, okay, here's two and a half bad nights. Here's two and a half really, really good nights. And the rest of the nights is just like, hey, I'm shooting 38%, Pete. <laughs> 
And that isn't super uncommon amongst shooters, which is why it's valuable to have another skill alongside that. And this is something that he'll say. He's like, I can get an assist if I'm not scoring, right? And so that secondary skill, you know, I think that plays well into that idea of him as a shooter. If you don't have it, it flows into a pick and roll on the other side of the court. Well, he bristled multiple times at the idea of him being called the point guard mm-hmm. of the team. And he was just like, no, I'm a basketball player. For this team, I am a basketball player. Like, I do some point guard stuff, but he did a ton of off-ball work. One of the plays, and this is going to go back to your question, Mike, about like his relationship with Austin and how they sort of connect within the backcourt. But one of the possessions that I remember most is D'Lo and Austin are both sort of running in the same lane up the left sideline. And I can't remember what playoff series this was in. It might have been Golden State the second round. But they're both running up the sideline together. And one of them has to fill strong side corner. Right. And so neither of them have the ball. Ball's coming up the middle of the court. And D'Lo points to Austin. And he's like, Phil, Phil behind me. And you go to the corner. and. D'Lo knows he's going to catch the ball. He's going to sort of like ball fake or draw the attention and he's going to shovel to Austin. And that's exactly how it plays out. And Austin gets the wide open three in the corner that he buries. And those sort of connections and that understanding of how to play D'Lo and Austin had a little bit of their own like basketball love affair during the regular season where Mm -hmm. both of them were like hyping each other up almost every post game where Austin's like, man, D'Lo is so easy to play with. Like, he's so smart. He understands, like, how to pass and move and this, this, that, and the other. And every chance D'Lo got is just like, Austin Reeves is great. Like, he was using the words great with Austin almost all of the time. And that ability for both players to be on-ball or off-ball workers, Mike, is what I think is going to help the Lakers find a natural balance. And as they grow together on the team, I think that they can both figure out what the right balance should be, not only in the big picture, but from game to game or quarter to quarter, where it's just like, you've got it going right now. We're going to continue to leverage you. And now I'm going to pull back and then vice versa when those dynamics shift. And that can happen within the same game. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Mike, is that like we have all every one of our rotation guards can play off ball. And that's not something that's been the case in a minute. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hit back on that and kind of bring Vincent into it and get your take on that, Pete. But I wanted to add with Austin and Delo, they also got along really well off the court, and you could tell some of that in the comments. And, and that doesn't always matter, but it just was interesting to me, like seeing them together sometimes in the plane, and you know, uh, I think playing some golf together, like things like that. It's just it's interesting. Like there, are, it, sometimes the the way that you fit on the basketball court, um, even with disparate personalities, can sort of impact the way that you get along off the court. And I think there's, that is the way Darius phrased that to start. Like there is some sort of way that they, that they see and understand the game of basketball that they both appreciate. But yeah, as you were describing that, really both of you, Pete, and you just hit on it, you know, Vincent, everybody that watched, that listens to this pod, I think for the most part, probably watched the finals, you know, and probably watched, and that was a good window um, into Vincent, like his, the way that he played in the playoffs a little bit different from the regular season, in fact, because he he essentially switched roles to a more prominent position when they put Kyle Lowry um, on the bench. Mm-hmm. And I thought handled it really well. 
But Pete, he really does to me fit into that where if he's on the court with either D'Lo or Austin um, or potentially a different guard, he can take more of a primary creative role and throw LeBron into this. Or he can be a spacer um, on the other side and then like attack closeouts and, you know, find a rhythm that way. And that to me is interesting. And that's where, you know, Dennis at times was in those situations. And I think that was the one part of the fit with Dennis who brought a lot, by the way, and especially from a defensive standpoint and from a toughness standpoint, just sort of finding ways to make things happen. But just from a from a fitting into that style of basketball, um, maybe wasn't quite as smooth as as how the Vincent fit could be. And I I wondered if you had thoughts on that yet. No, I think you're spot on and that Dennis is an on ball player offensively. That is predominantly what he does. And I think that the nature of his jump shot and kind of the slow, you know, load release that he has impacts and as you get higher deeper and deeper into the playoffs how teams guard you and that's one of the things that I come away with with going from Dennis to Gabe Gabe Vincent but also team wide and Torian Prince as well that I think how teams guard the Lakers is going to have to change it's going to be different than it's really been in the LeBron and AD era um and and that's the nature of having all of those skill guards and so now what is the drop off defensively from Dennis to Vincent? I think is going to be a, an interesting question. In that, like Vincent's also a dog. He's also a guy that has a mentality. He's an undrafted dude, right? Like a lot of what you were saying about Austin and being the, given the chance to fill a role and then shining once you got into it all the way through the playoffs, but even also some of the weaknesses too, right? I did watch those finals, Mike. And one of the things I noticed in game one, Aaron Gordon had like a 12 point first quarter in part because he was setting a, a screen for whoever Vincent was guarding. I think he was on Murray. They'd switch that. And then Gordon would reverse pivot D and just bury him in the post. And it was like, ah, yes. I just watched them do this to us. Right. And so that's one of the things that I think comes with having a lot of skill guards is the long and short of it is that we're skilled, but we're small. And that's part of the reason why I think Max is super important. So yeah, D, I think, I think Max's emergence um, is something that it's one of those elements of a tryout, right? This year, I think that asking him beyond a certain role is ambitious, but he certainly, certainly looks ready to kind of step up into a certain role in which we need a big physical type of athlete that to fill a spot alongside some smaller guards. Yeah, I think Max, and I think over the offseason we'll probably have a full pod on on like Max and, and like what the rotation could potentially be. But I'm very bullish. On Max Christie. I love his positional size. I love his work ethic. I love his defensive instincts. I love his competitiveness on that side of the ball. I love how he attacks the glass. There's just a lot of things to like about him. And he is a prototypical 3 and D player who has a bit more to his game as like a downhill athlete, I think, than what he was able to show last year. We talked about this a fair amount last season whenever Max came up, but I'm a big believer in pedigree. And so when we talk about like Cam Reddish later, for example, like I'll get into this idea a little bit more. But Mike, Max Christie was a five-star recruit. He was a McDonald's All-American, and they just don't hand those out to, to whoever. He was recruited hard and went to Michigan State to play for Tom Izzo. Like these are... These are things that a lot of like we just got done talking about Gabe Vincent and and Austin Reeves, these undrafted guys like Christie was projected to be like one of those top 25 guys in his class. And 
He did not have the freshman year that I'm sure he would have liked to have had at Michigan State. And subsequently, he fell to the second round in the draft. But I think what we've seen through the first couple of games at the California Classic is Christie showing like, oh, I can do some of these big guard things like defensively and be a guy on the wing that operates with with some size. And he can, I think, capably play in multiple types of lineups and he could be a shooting guard. I think he could be a small forward in some groups and that ability, I think to like potentially be a a player who can switch against bigger guys and and hold up and, and play with some physicality. And he's still young. He's going to have to grow into his frame even more and get his like grown man strength. But already the work that he's done on his body, you could see it just like it pops on TV. And so I've just really liked what the Lakers have done in terms of reshuffling their backcourt. I think they're going to elevate Austin. I think that D'Lo is is already an elevated sort, sort of player. And then I think behind them, you've got you've got Gabe and you've got Max and then potentially you've got Cam. And it's just like, okay, like, like there's some stuff that you can do here. And we haven't even talked about like Hood Shafino or any of the other guys that could potentially step in and be like, Hey, for 10 minutes on any given night, I can step in and do some things at an NBA level. And I'm super intrigued by this group of guards and, and the remix that they've done while bringing back a couple of their top level guys with Austin and Dila. So first, uh, a quick note on Max, and then I, I there's a part of the roster where I, I think that ha, you know has to be addressed at some point um, that we can discuss in context with some of the other guys as well. But so Max, you're right, Darius. Like the pedigree, he was one of the guys in this class all the way through, and then he got to Michigan State, and as a, a younger player, um, he just turned 20 in like later in his rookie year. He played like he played 31 minutes a game in 35 games. He just didn't shoot the ball well from the perimeter. But, and this is where I think the Lakers were so smart, and this is like I always shout out Jesse Boss on here and, you know, Rob for kind of letting him make the pick. You know, he only took 123s, um, essentially, in his in his freshman year. And so he made 39 of them. If six more go in, all of a sudden he's at like a quote-unquote acceptable number, right? And so I, that's that's just like... Then we also remember the remember the pot we did where Pete said something like, "Did he just change his shooting form?" Oh, and he's he's gotten so much better as a shooter, Mike. Over the last year, his shooting stroke was glacially slow at this point yeah. last season, and now he's knocking down threes where he's not even bothered by the contest. Like, just the growth has been remarkable. But even early in the season, though, he changed the way that he was shooting, and he essentially started shooting it more at his fingertips than his palm. And he yep. just kind of like he's like, "No, nah, I just figured it out while I was shooting in the gym." one day but like even so he shot almost 83 percent at the free throw line um as a college freshman and i just thought that like had he had he been at 40 percent in which i think he will be a 40 percent nba shooter one day then where does he go you know where does he go is he a lottery pick like i think he would have been a lottery pick this year just based and that's what the lakers were thinking why they wanted to get up to that 35 range like they had him in mind hey he's a guy who could slip because of a couple of these things and the shot wasn't yet looking great at the combine but we think that he's got the mechanics to be able to get to that. And he's got all these other tools. Like he'll defend um, like he's like with his ass off. He's he's smart. Like he's a sponge. Um, all of the vets loved him last year. Right. He just he's very 
um, engaged all the time. He's very focused. He's very confident. Like he really wants to be good. And, and so that's a player like I, we were thinking last postseason, maybe I should try max. And that's hard for a head coach, sure. right? I sure. mean, like, Hey, let me put the rookie out there in the Western conference semis or um, whatever. But so that's, so yes, I think that the max hype uh, is legit here on the LFR pod. And I, I think it's one of those things that will be paid off. Um, if I can, if I can get to the larger area and then again, we can always just change tack here, but I, I would love for that, for the roster to have one more big. Um, and I think yep. this is not, I'm not alone here. It's kind of obvious, like just looking at it, <clears throat> but I, I like that if there isn't the guy that necessarily fits that perfectly, then use your assets in other ways for the best player that you can get a little bit like how they approach the draft. Now, Fit is more important on an actual NBA roster than it, like when you're in free agency than it is in the draft. But you don't have to force it um, if it's not there. That's that can be addressed with a trade moving forward. And so, like I think this roster is good enough to, you know, to make another run through the Western Conference again. But if if they're gonna, you know, if you're gonna move them up to that next echelon, like is there a, a big that can really play minutes when Anthony Davis? is sitting or is there it can't just be like lebron you go and play center or yeah. Rui, you go and play center like is there somebody who can give you a stretch five look um in certain lineups with ad um in there at a four like is there in those those players it was not the year for that in free agency or in terms of roster turnover uh, a good one i'm saying and but that's that's the one thing that i kind of think it's it's asking a lot once again of anthony davis um who should be asked a lot of he is mm-hmm. a, a prime superstar. He is better than all of the po- the postseason list said that he was, <laughs> as we as we shared uh, in the text thread. But that to me is still the place that they they've got to find some solutions to eventually. Yeah, I, I think that's like you said, that's an an obvious point, and I think that Jackson Hayes is somebody who he's part of that tryout idea where he could hit, but I don't think we want to have to depend on him to be able to cover the 12 minutes per game in the playoffs that AD won't be on the floor. Now, if he does great. And is he talented enough to do it? Yes. Right. But things have to happen before now and then uh, in order to get there and having another, another guy who, as we talk it out, like I want a guy that sets a screen that can rock your jaw and that can rebound. That's something that as I look at this roster, I'm concerned about our rebounding. Um, but I do think that bigger physical type of guy would be great. But you actually have to sign an actual person that's available, right? And when you look at the names available in free agency, there's like, you know, a pretty much a defense only guy that I think would be probably the most prudent guy that we that we could get. But there's not a lot of super inspiring names that can be like, oh, yeah, this guy's going to solve our problems here. And so sometimes it's best to wait. Um, the one thing I would say, though, is that this five spot is super important in the context of Darvin's defense, Darius, like that we saw those games without Anthony Davis and everything is so built to funnel toward the big defensively, like all of the defensive concepts is to funnel toward the basket that if you sign an offense only guy, if you sign a guy like Thomas Bryant, right, who can give you buckets, even get get you some rebounds, but can't jump that well from a standing position and really bother shots around the rim, you can really hemorrhage points in a short period of time just by the nature of this team's defense. And so in if I had to build one like base idea that 
this theoretical player, what they could do to me, it's that rim protection, just be able to hold it down and not have the other team score on us every single time. Uh, like Memphis did, for example, in the first round when AD was on the bench. Um, I think that's probably the core thing to look for, but I do think there's a good argument to be made to wait and to find this type of guy down the line. No, I certainly agree with that. And I agree with the idea that Hayes is, is more of a tryout guy. Um, he's an idea right now. And mm-hmm. ideas are great. We all have ideas. Um, sometimes ideas come to fruition and sometimes they they don't. I'm intrigued by Hayes um, as a vertical athlete, as someone who will run the floor, as someone who can catch a lob and play at the top of the square. The Lakers haven't had many of those guys um, since they won the championship, right? Like the progression that they've gone with their big man has more been like oh let's get a mark gasol who was great and then it was andre drummond who did other things and was probably um better than what fans remember but his strength was not going and playing above the square right right um and and then this past season with with thomas bryant and and guys of of that ilk it's sort of just like okay but Hayes is a different sort of caliber of of athlete, and um, I'm always intrigued by guys who have that run and jump ability and can play um, up in the air, particularly when you've got passers the way that the Lakers have passers. I actually think we should wrap up here because we've too. got so much more to talk about. We haven't hit on Cam yet, really, or or on Prince. And I think there's a lot more ideas to talk about regarding team building and roster construction, Mike. Let's let's wrap. I want to get quick Jackson Hayes thought in. So the the rim protection element, especially, like if that's one of the kind of like a an area of focus that you can have him come in and hey, lob thread. I get all that, but he, so he just generally struggled um, last year on the court in New Orleans. And like, there's a reason that he didn't go back there. So to me, that's that he's got to sort of come in and show um, some growth and some, there's got to be a sort of expectation as to what that's going to be. Like he was last on their team, right. In that rating. And that's not, you got to give him a fresh start. You have to address the talent. He's still, what is he? 23. Um, I think 23 or 24. And so there, there's something there, but it's just that's why, you know, they got him on the deal that they did, um, right, relative to what else was out there. And it's just I, I think it's always important not to just heap too much expectation um, on a player like that, even if he's got a couple of skills that stand out um, that, that could be needed. No, I think that's spot on, Mike. And I, if I can make one small environmental argument in favor of that, that potential is that New Orleans had a lot of athletic size. Right. And so he played on a ton of lineups where it was him and Jonas Valanciunas, who's not an athlete, right, but a big guy, or him and Zion, or him and Larry Nance Jr. These are a lot of big guys. And and so as a result of their roster, they played a lot of two big lineups, in which here is going to be completely opposite. And so the idea is that the fours are more spacing type of things. And that's we're suffering uh, from that's going a, too far. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and our summer league team, I think, is suffering from going too far in that direction. And that, like, we're giving up freaking 20 offensive rebounds every game because we're so small because Cole Swider is at the four or LJ Figueroa. So, um, so 
That said, though, for a rim running five, it's the exact opposite spacing of what like Damian Jones had last year when it was like, okay, we're still going to collapse into the paint and now you don't have a roll lane and we're just going to make them shoot jumpers. When you combine that with what we were talking about earlier with the jump shooters, there should be the spacing for a lob threat type of five that hasn't been there in a minute. So, uh Let's wrap up here. Um, we are going to pick up the pace again in terms of recording, probably be about twice a week. So we will be back next week. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. They win. Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.